Happy Easter, church family, and a warm welcome to those visiting today. Uh, I know we have some people from out of town or some others who don't get a chance to come that often. I uh, just want to say one thing to you. You're so welcome here. Um, I'm also aware that some of you were probably dragged here um, by, by loved ones, of course, for, for good purposes. Uh, my, my greeting to you is the same. You're so welcome here. You're so welcome. Uh, it's our privilege, really, to serve you today. And those of you that have uh, children in the back, too, uh, it, it's our privilege to serve you today. Uh, it was already said today, but I'll repeat it. No one is here by accident. We believe that. Um, if you're here today or listening, please know you have a divine appointment. Uh, I'm John, and this is Demetrius. Uh, we're going to be bringing you some words today. Uh, we're, you probably noticed we're not the pastor. Okay, those of you that are uh, uh, awake and alert, you, you probably realize that. Uh, pastor Ed and Diane, I cleared with them. I could tell you they came down with COVID. Um, they're doing okay, uh, but um, I imagine that the most painful part for them is being separated from their church family on Easter Sunday. So, uh, Ed and Diane, we love you. We miss you. We're going to do the best we can without you, but we really wish you were here. We love you guys. Um, and get well. Get well. So I found out midweek about that I was going to be speaking today, and um, I got a little nervous. Um, so, um, you know, Easter Sunday is like a big deal, right? So I got a little bit nervous. And, uh, you know, my wife, Lisa, you know, she's, she helps me in these things. I'm going to say the same thing at 11, by the way, when she's here. So I'm not speaking behind her back. Um, so, so she says to me, you know, John, don't, don't worry. Um, most people aren't even going to be listening to you. <laughs> because they're thinking about the ham. So I don't really know if that made me feel better. Um, but, but if that's true, and I'll say this, uh, my wife is usually, usually not wrong. Uh, if, if, if that's true, what we're going to try to do is bracket out a few minutes today between now and the ham to look at a passage of scripture and see what God may have to say to us through this passage today. So if you've been tracking with, with us the last six weeks, we've been talking about things that block our vision and keep us from finding Jesus. We talked about our busyness, right? The frantic pace of our lives, the, the daily churn that we all go through. Uh, nothing else in all history, it, it seems, uh, that just the, the sheer avalanche of activity in our lives. Our stuff, each of us has more stuff than you know, maybe kings 200 years ago would have. I mean, just, it's amazing. And, you know, I'm, okay, my favorite website is Amazon.com. You know, it's just an amazing amount of stuff that we can, uh, you know, is in front of us to buy, to manage, et cetera. Um, we talked about our past. Dean gave that great sermon about um, how the, the shame and guilt over things that we've done in the past or not done, it, it, can, it can haunt us. Uh, we also talked about the wrong view of God, how some of us, you know, God is either this unreasonable tyrant or he's disinterested and he's not involved. He talked about all these ways, and I could, I could add to that, right? I could talk about um, our culture's um, tendency to commercialize uh, holidays, or I could talk about Easter. I had a, 
I had actually had an inkling that I was going to go after the Easter Bunny today. Um, and, and I was actually going to talk about, uh, you know, how, how distracted we are by that most exquisite of distracting desserts, peeps. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take this conversation in a different direction. Um, this morning, what, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at what happens when we find Jesus. We're going to look at a passage. We're going to look at three big picture themes. Okay, those of you that count and outline this stuff. Three big picture themes uh, for what happens when we find Jesus. And uh, three, three dramatic ways that we are changed when we find Jesus. And we're also going to look at how that solves, that solves the two biggest problems in your life and mine. Three big picture themes the two biggest problems solved. So as we think about what Demetrius is going to read for us uh, in Luke chapter 24, let's remember something important about the interaction between this resurrected Jesus, who's now alive, and the disciples, his followers, his students. Um, the disciples were not trying to find Jesus. They didn't consider him missing. They thought he was gone. He was dead. He was dead. You know, that's one of the things that makes the accounts of his resurrection appearance so compelling because it's hard to figure out, isn't it? If the story was made up, then where did it come from? Let, let's pray real fast. Lord, we, we are aware that um, uh, hundreds of people, hundreds of different perspectives, we're all in a different place with you. Some of us are running with you. Some of us are running away from you. And we are, we're confident today, Lord, that you have the ability, you, you have the ability to speak to all of us, to speak to every single person here where they're at. You have the ability to reach them where they're at with the message that you have for them. So I, I pray, well, Lord, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to pray for me. Get me out of the way. And you have your way here today with us. You speak the words that need to be spoken today. And I pray, Lord, that we would be changed. I pray that none of us would walk out of here this, exactly the same as how we came in. Because um, we know that this is what you're about, Lord. You're about, you're about newness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you, you see I have. And when, he had, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything, anything here to eat? And, he gave, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their eyes so they could understand the scriptures. He told them 
This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for, and for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thank you, Demetrius. So what, what do we see in this passage? Uh, ma main theme number one, the resurrection of Jesus radically changes our worldview. The resurrection of Jesus radically changes our worldview. In other words, when we find Jesus, it changes everything. It, it bends our perception of reality to the biblical view of history. Um, and that's certainly what, what Luke is trying to do in this entire, uh, in his entire biography of Jesus, but especially in this story. He's trying to bend our perception of reality. When I, when I read this, I thought about uh, my first car. It was a, it was a 1980 Pontiac, no, not 1880. 1980, Pontiac Grand Prix. Um, it, it, we bought it used. Um, it, we really shouldn't have bought it. Um, you know how you're supposed, to, you're supposed to bring the car to the mechanic before you buy it to get it checked out? Well, we did the opposite. We bought it first and then brought it to the mechanic. I still remember the mechanic put it up on a lift, took one look at the underside. He said, you never should have bought this car. That really didn't make me feel good. So you never should have bought this car. This car was in a bad accident. So what that meant is I would drive this car, and I realized um, you go over, it was, it was great on, on a flat road. You go over 45 miles an hour, and the, the wheel would shake. Uh, and mostly because it needed an alignment. It needed an alignment. Um, that's what, what Luke is doing here. He's, he's realigning realigning our vision, our worldview, into reality. The same way a mechanic would align wheels in alignment. He's he wants to change our whole worldview, and the reason he wants to do that is because his worldview has been radically altered by Jesus. Now, um, let's consider some different ways. Let me, let me demonstrate different ways. You, you can look at this story differently than what we are. Uh, you know, some people leave the resurrection of Jesus this is, this is unconsidered. It's not part of their, of their life. Um, the thought never lingers long enough in their minds to even be examined. Um, it's, it's unconsidered. Why, why is that? Well, some people, it's, well, this is religion, right? Or, you know, when I hear Jesus or, you know, it's just not relevant to my life. It's almost like when I watched the Olymp Winter Olympics uh, and... Um, you know, watching this on TV, and they're doing the downhill and the skating. I mean, it's cool. Um, but then curling comes on. Okay, and I don't want to insult any curling fans, but, you know, you probably have seen this. It's like a, they use a granite, they call it a stone, and you have people doing this, you know, in front of this thing as it goes down the, yeah, I see, I've lost you already. Uh, it's curling. Okay. Uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere there are rabid fans in the world of curling. You know, there are people that live for curling. I'm not one of them. Curling comes on, and I say, uh, is there anything on Netflix? Some people like that with the story of Jesus and the resurrection. I'm not, I'm not a religious guy. I'm not a, yeah, uh, it, this is just not my thing. Um, it's wishful thinking, some people think. Oh, it would be nice, 
but it's, it's, just not, it's just not scientific. And I'm a science person. Um, I follow the science. Uh, it's, it's not, it's just wishful thinking. Or it's a nice idea, but there's no way this could be real. Okay, time to be obnoxious. I'm going to get in your face for a second. If you see yourself as a, I don't need to consider this kind of person, I need to eliminate that as a possibility for you this morning. I, I, I need to scream this loud enough or to say this passionately enough that this, this is just not a possibility the resurrection of Jesus means that a dead guy walked out of the grave. You can't leave that unconsidered. You can examine it and reject it. You can do the historical study and say, oh, it doesn't meet the canons of my historiography, but you cannot leave it unconsidered. And yet I know most people will. And if you leave it unconsidered, you're not going to find Jesus. How else do people look at this story? Um, it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol. Um, it didn't actually happen, but it's the, it's the spirit of it that's important. You know, it's, it's kind of like, like spring, right? It's, you know, patterns of death and rebirth, and that's what this is. Maybe this is meant to illustrate what happens in nature. I'll say this. If you believe that, you've actually got it backwards. Nature illustrates this. This is the reality. I don't have time to unpack that, but that's the case. Um, or, or um, you know what? The resurrection story, it's, it's, this is religious truth uh, or poetic truth. So, so you know, even if, even if archaeologists in Palestine you know, dig up a, a bone box, an ossuary, and, it, and, and we find the bones of, of Jesus of Nazareth in there, well, the re- religious story still has religious value. Um, and, and actually, I know that some, some parts of Islam, uh, you know, interpret the resurrection this way. Jesus was a prophet. He was an inspiring figure. Uh, there were some Islamic teachers that teach the swoon theory. Jesus didn't actually die. Uh, he only appeared to be dead. Um, look, I cannot say this strongly enough. The Bible is absolutely clear. If Jesus was not bodily resurrected, then you Christians, you're fools. You're fools. One of Jesus' early followers, Paul, um, he wrote a letter to a a good-sized city, uh, a church in in Corinth in in Asia Minor. It was about 20 years after this happened, after the the disciples encountered Jesus in this way. And he he writes, look, look, if Jesus was not bodily resurrected, then Christians should be pitied. You should be pitied if this did not actually happen. And Luke also will have nothing to do with these opinions. And he includes the story to make sure we understand that. The resurrection happened. It's not a symbol. I want to consider four things at least. The disciples, again, were not looking for Jesus. They thought he was dead. Well, you may say he only appeared to his disciples. Let me say this. There's a reason for that. Only his disciples could verify it was him. Only they could verify it was him. They, they ate with him. They, they walked with him. They, they knew what his laugh sounded like. They, they knew what his walk looked like. They're the only ones that could verify it was him. So while it's true that they, it only happened to the disciples, it was wholly unexpected. The disciples had zero expectation of this. So the theory that this is an inspiring story, 
about a guy who was beaten and left for dead and somehow rose from his wounds to lead a revolution or that these are the result of, of hyper-realized expectation, uh, illusions, mass hysteria, mass vision, uh, it is completely unfounded. They were not expecting this to happen. Also, the resurrection appearances were received consistently with doubt and hesitation by the disciples. That's what we would expect if the story is true. They were terrified. They thought they saw a ghost. Also, Jesus was seen on various occasions by various kinds of witnesses, male and female, individuals and groups, skeptical and trusting. And all of these witnesses reported the same thing. It, it really is Jesus, and he really is alive. And the result of these appearances was a conviction, an unshakable conviction that he was alive. For the balance of their lives, all of the witnesses remained convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead. And many of them died for this conviction. Out of the original 12, 11 were martyred. Why? Because they believed that this was true. At any time they could have recanted, and they did not. So if this really happened, it changes our worldview. We're confronted with the fact that reality is much stranger and wilder than we've been led to believe. It forces us to conform our entire perception of reality to the biblical view of history. It puts us back into alignment with reality. Um, let me give you some examples. If you believe that this world is, the sum of this world is only what I can perceive, okay, uh, taste, touch, smell, um, hear, and see, if that's the only world that there is, this story blows that out of the water. It shatters that belief. If you believe that all religions are the same, that they're all equally valid ways to get to God, if Jesus was raised from the dead, that, it makes that belief untrue. Or if you believe the point of life, why are we here? The point of life is to live large. Uh, collect as many cool toys as you can. Or be the, be the best person you can be. Or be as successful as you can be. If Jesus was resurrected, that worldview has to be adjusted. None of those can be the point. Now, I think some, some people think, well, you know, it's an interesting idea, but it doesn't really touch my life. And some of us think, oh, it's a great symbol. It should inspire me. No, Luke wants to dismantle that idea. And actually, the entire New Testament wants to take that idea down. The resurrection of Jesus is not an irrelevant idea or a symbol. It changes everything. Our worldview is altered. Now, I know many, many people listening today, you've embraced the alteration, but you need to be reminded, don't you? Uh, it's true. Jesus was raised from the dead. What does he say? Look at my hands and feet. And they struggled to believe. It's fascinating to me. Those that actually got to touch him still found it hard to believe because it was so amazing to be true, almost too amazing. I like what Jesus told Thomas. You may know him as Doubting Thomas because of what's recorded in John 20, where he said, unless I touch, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. This story is true, and it changes everything when we find Jesus. Big picture theme number two. The resurrection of Jesus is the key to understanding the whole Bible. 
It's a key. It is the key to understanding the whole Bible. You know, I'm struck by what Jesus says when he shows up among his, his disciples here. Uh, when he shows up to his friends, I'm actually struck by what he doesn't say. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't bring up the fact that they all deserted him. <laughs> he doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't say, uh, you know, when I was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, you guys couldn't even stay awake. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, uh, you guys, you're all sitting here behind a locked door like a bunch of scared rabbits. He doesn't say that either. You know what he does? He does a Bible study with them. He does a Bible study. We don't have the details, but I wonder if, if Jesus, Jesus talked about Isaiah's prophecies from hundreds of years ago. We know it is Isaiah 52 and 53, but the Messiah would suffer for the sins of his people. Um, I wonder if Jesus went through Psalm 16 with them, where it says God's holy one um, would not be abandoned to the grave. He would not see decay. And I could go on and on and on and on. And I wonder, where was it in that conversation where the lights went on for the disciples and they realized, holy cow, the whole book, this book that we've been reading since we were kids, that we've heard it proclaimed every week since we were kids, the whole book is about him. The whole book is about Jesus. There are allusions to Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most amazing things about his life. And there are also uh, flat-out predictions, where he would be born, uh, etc. What he would do, what would happen to him. It's all there. And if you, if you miss, uh, if you don't have the resurrection, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss it. The whole story fits together because of Jesus' resurrection. Okay, old, old movie, national, national treasure, right? Um, I think they made like, what, 15 versions of this, national treasure. Um, Nicolas Cage finds a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. You remember that, but he can't interpret it because he needs special glasses. He needs, he needs the ocular device, right, which was invented by who else, of course? It's Ben Franklin who invented that. The, once he has that ocular device, he can read the map. The resurrection of Jesus enables us to interpret God's whole story. So we've got a, a, just a short video. So, so Pastor Ed actually, he does Amazon too. So he, he, bought, a, he bought a mug. Can we pull up that video? Um, ah, this is the mug. So what happens to the mug when you pour in a hot beverage. Okay, all I know is I want one. Okay. The mug changes. The mug changes. Actually, actually, the, the, the hot beverage allows you to see what the mug really looks like. That hot beverage is the resurrection. It's the resurrection. Look, the Bible can be hard to understand. <laughs> I've been reading it for a few decades, and uh, I, yeah, there are some parts I, I, I don't quite understand. And frankly, uh, let's be honest, some, of it are, uh, some parts are boring. You can say that in church. Yeah, some parts of the Bible are, are boring. But none of this holds together. None of it makes sense, and it doesn't connect to our lives without the resurrection of Jesus. Reading the Bible without the resurrection is, is like reading a mystery novel where you have the first 11 chapters and somebody rips out or deletes the 12th chapter, the last chapter. It doesn't make sense without the last chapter.
We cannot know God's story until we know the resurrection. But when we find the resurrected Jesus, the key to the map opens up to us. The mug changes for us little by little. Last big picture theme. The resurrection is the strongest possible message of purpose and hope. The resurrection is the strongest possible message of purpose and hope. Okay, let's look again at this passage. Why do doubts rise in your mind, Jesus asked. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Let's get the transition down here. Jesus had gone from a dead guy to someone who wants dinner. Unmistakably dead. Swoon theory? Mm, no, no, no. The Romans were really good at certain things. Jesus was crucified by Romans on a Roman cross. Romans are really good at, at certain things. They were, really, they were awesome engineers. Some of the, their, the formula for making uh, concrete uh, is actually better than what we have today. They're amazing engineers. Um, they were amazing uh, soldiers. Their military was, was phenomenal for the time. What they were also good at is death. They were really good at death. They were really good at, at uh, torture and, and death. Um, they did not leave Jesus alive. So look, you may dismiss the resurrection. You can leave it unconsidered if you want. Uh, it's a hard thing to get your mind around, so I get that. But don't be fooled by ridiculous explanations. He was most certainly dead. But for these disciples, his entire world is opened up. Their entire world is opened up because the dead guy is walking and talking among them. I mean, look, anything is possible if formerly dead people are now ordering fish and chips. Anything is possible. And that's what we find when we find Jesus. We find purpose and hope. For some of us, it's an avalanche of purpose and hope. For others, it's a dawning. It's, um, it's the mug slowly turning color, an increasing crescendo of purpose and hope. But for all of us, the purpose and hope has to be grasped. It has to be fought for. We have to cling to it. And that's why we do this. That's why we gather and do this. I want to end with, with a couple things. I want to talk about our two biggest problems. I want to talk about how in his death and resurrection, Jesus solves our two biggest problems, which are problem number one, we sin. Problem number two, we die. Let me break these down. We sin. Um, it's kind of like a, like a shorthand way of saying we, we fail to meet God's perfect standards. And look, if we're honest, let, let's be honest for at least a moment, we admit we don't, even, we don't even meet our own standards, right? We know this from our conscience. And why is that? Because we're broken. And that brokenness shows itself mostly in our relationships. My relationship with God, with the people around me, and even with myself, they're, they're broken. I'm going to use a computer analogy because we're in northern Virginia and this is the IT capital um, uh, and I'm really going to sound foolish because I don't really know that much about this stuff, but bear with me here. Um, uh, we have an operating system. 
right? Each of us, our software, an operating system. Um, it drives my decisions. It drives my appetites. It drives my actions. And that operating system is broken. My moral and spiritual operating system, it's broken. Without God, I'm trying to live my life with a broken operating system, and the result of that is I sin. I look for my meaning, purpose, and pleasure apart from God. The relationship is broken with him, with other people, with myself. This was already said today. I'm going to repeat it. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all that brokenness on himself, willingly. He took all of that brokenness, all of that all of that brokenness that we carry on himself. The Apostle Paul, in another letter to that Corinthian church, said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we find Jesus, we get a new operating system. You know, for me, that was more than 30 years ago. Um, I fought him for years. Maybe some of you are fighting him. You're resisting. I fought him for years. I actually thought I was too smart to believe in God. Uh, those of you that know me, you probably are rolling your eyes. Uh, you're not. Uh, that's what I thought. And I fought him for years, but I finally gave in. I finally said yes to Jesus, and I found him. And I got that new operating system. You can have that today. If you're, if you're still in that, in that broken operating system, you can have that today. You can, you can mark this day as a new beginning. You can have that today. All you have to do is ask. Not easy, but incredibly simple. And the first problem, I sin, leads directly to the second problem. Broken software will, will eventually affect the hardware. It will. The hardware. Okay. What's that second problem? I die. We die. That broken operating system results in death. Uh, Paul, again, in a letter to a Roman church, uh, which we've collected and we have in our New, New Testament, says, the wages of sin is death. The result of that brokenness is death, is death, is death. The second problem we have is that we die. My life on this planet will come to an end. And what does that mean? It means everything I've worked for everything I've invested in, um, every, everyone I've loved, for me, it, it'll be over one day. You know, I had a boss in New York, uh, uh, Sal, I remember. Uh, uh, he had this expression once. He was talking about a, an older woman he knew. And in the, in the eloquence that can only come from a person born and raised in New York City, um, he referred to, the, to this woman. He said, he said, that lady's, that lady's got one foot in the grave and another foot on a banana peel. Sal, that's not just that lady. That's all of us. That's all of us. Yeah, we die. We try to soften this sometimes. Uh, somebody was, you know, they're suffering. Oh, it's for the best. Or we say things like, their memory will live on. True. And that's, and that's true. But the Bible is very clear, very clear. You know, death, death is an intruder. Death is not an, a natural part of life. Death is an enemy. 
death is an enemy. I was not made to get old and die. I was not made for that. I was made to get better. To get better, to grow in my relationship with God. I was made to to grow in my relationship with you. To grow, to get better. I was not made to get old and die. And yet, despite my exercise regimen and my dietary caution, I will ultimately die. I'm helpless. I'm helpless against death. But Jesus solved the problem for us, for me. Here's how he did it. He took death on himself. He took death on himself. All right, I'm going to get a little street for you now. Jesus, in holy violence, met death face-to-face in a dark alley and stomped him. He stomped him. Jesus stomped death. And because he did, we can face our death differently. He defeated the enemy that I didn't have a chance. None of us had a chance. We don't have a chance against death. But he defeated him. So what that means is that my death will be like his. It means it's going to end in resurrection. I will live again. I will live forever with him. And you can too. You can have that too. If you're listening to me today, if you don't have that assurance, you can have that too. That life can start for you today. You can have a full mug today. Now, some of us have taken that step where we've said to Jesus, I want this. I want you. For you, the resurrection is only the beginning. Did you notice what Jesus told the disciples? He said, uh, uh, I'm going to send the, the Holy Spirit to you. Uh, the Father will send this. What's the Holy Spirit? It's the presence and power of Christ, 24-7, 365. That's what, what, what he's talking about. Um, he was preparing to loose them into the world with power. What kind of power? We think of power, we think of uh, important people, we think of money, we think of stature, we think of, of influence. Um, what kind of power is Jesus talking about? It looks like wholeness. It looks like concord. It looks like shalom. It looks like peace. It's the power that enables us to love, to love God and love those around you. And here's how you know it's an otherworldly power, because it enables us to love and work for the good of those that oppose us. I'll say that again. You know it's an otherworldly power because it enables us to love and work for the good of those that, that oppose, those that hate us, those that would rather have Christians just go away. No, we're going to love them. We're going to work for their good. We can do that because we have this power, the power of the resurrection. And all we need to do is ask for it. All we need to do is ask. So stand with me, please. We're going to pray. Lord, there's so much we can say today. Uh, There's a lot we can say. Um, But when we think about the angel rolling away that stone over Jesus' grave, we're reminded of something. Lord, we're reminded that that stone was not moved for Jesus to get out. 
We're reminded that in his resurrected body, there is no stone on earth that could have held him. We recognize, we remember, Lord, that that was not an obstacle for him. We, Lord, today we recognize that that stone was not rolled away for Jesus. It was rolled away for us. You rolled the stone away for us that we might come in. Your invitation stands, God, and I know some of us have been resisting that invitation. We don't want to do that anymore, God. We don't want to do that. We want to come in. You've invited us in. You've invited us in. You rolled the stone away for us to come in. So we do that, Lord. As best as we're able to, we come in today. We come in to... To, to ponder and to, and to be amazed and to believe as best we can. Lord, some of us are skeptical. All of us are broken. And you invite us all in the same. And as best as we're able to, we accept your invitation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.